Hello, and welcome to the Because Love podcast from Moncton Wesleyan Church. This podcast is to answer questions you may have about God, faith, and life. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the second episode of our podcast in in this format. And I just want to welcome you uh, that are listening today. Listen, maybe some of you, you know, you wouldn't consider yourself um, you know, part of a church community or, or even religious, but somehow maybe somebody shared uh, this conversation. And so here you are listening and we just want to say welcome. And it's our desire that, that you will find today's conversation helpful. And we know that many of you are from our church community. And so maybe uh, you will enjoy today's conversation and want to just share this uh, with a friend because we're excited to be able to talk about a series that we are currently in here in our church called the Expectant Series. And I've got two incredible guests. All right, you, many of you know our senior pastor, Joel Gorvet. And uh, Joel, you know what? It's a privilege to be able to uh, be here on this podcast, but be able to just watch from behind the scenes as you lead our church and lead our staff uh, through a very, very difficult time. So... Crazy Welcome. times. Crazy times. Yes. And also, um, so we have, again, been in this series two, two weeks in a row. And so the first week we had Jeremy McDonald. So welcome, Jeremy. Uh, just it's fill us in a here. little bit about maybe some of the great work that you do uh, in ministry, <laughs> not necessarily here in this not church. The, not the not great work, just the great no, stuff. No, we want to hear great the good stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you do, what your passion are. A detailed are. list of all the wonderful things. <laughs> and then we're going to jump into today's conversation. Yeah, and did you, you didn't introduce yourself to people. No, people I didn't. And, and uh, maybe some of you don't know who I am, but I am Pastor Pat, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Moncton Wesleyan. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, my name is Jeremy McDonald. Uh, I grew up uh, here in Moncton and grew up at this church in particular. This is my home church. Uh, so before the Celebration Center was built, uh, I know all of the places to go hide for sardines. And uh, so my claim to fame is, I think, growing yeah. up here, but then have been in vocational ministry for yeah. just over a decade. So yeah. uh, we're, we attend here and I've, uh, I'm part of an organization that helps youth ministries. And then uh, really cool that I get invited to, to speak yes, every once absolutely. in a while. An official so, member of the teaching team. And so I appreciate the best part let's of it uh, let's jump right into this, and so we're gonna have so much fun with this conversation because we're talking about expectations, Christmas expectations. And so maybe you know maybe you're watching this uh, a month or two months from now, but currently or two we're, years are recording from now. it, and it's Christmas time. But really, expectations, unmet expectations, can happen all year long. But if, Jeremy, I know that you kicked off week one, and you True. talked about Christmas expectations. Yes, and how you know our kids. You know, they have an idea of what it should look like. Um, for some of you that may be married, you know that your spouse has expectations of who we're going to spend time with, right? Yeah, those are early. That, if, you, if you got married uh, just this last year and this is your first Christmas married, that's the really interesting it thing to sort sure out. If you, you remember probably <laughs> yeah, you got I sure that first Christmas married. Wow, yes. that's a yeah. conversation and expectations as yes. you sort that stuff out. So yeah, absolutely. That's a part of the season. So you kicked off week one. Yeah. And so I want us to start our conversations about, you know, how do we manage unmet expectations? How do I manage? Yeah. Or how should we or how manage That's a different question. unmet expectations? <laughs> you gave a few, uh, you know, examples of how we often, you know, uh, manage these expectations in not such a healthy way. Yeah. You talked about, maybe you want to just share um, you know, how you opened up this conversation. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting to 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 process. And you know, honestly, this is uh, I think healthy for all of us. Um, if you end up in in counseling, uh, so I love uh, my counselor and going to counseling. It's something that you'll often get a chance to to chat about. <laughs> we encourage that. We highly encourage it because honestly, when you think about when your expectations aren't met, and you naturally have a response to it. Yeah. And so if it's uh, and this was the start. This is where we kind of went uh, two weeks ago. Uh, do you bottle it up? Do you get angry? Do you have a, like an anger problem? Do you let it burst? Do you just, you know, bury it down deep and hope it never resurfaces? Do you try to control or manipulate people? Yeah. And understanding and knowing what your natural reaction is can be helpful yeah. to then decide, do I actually like that reaction? And as things will come around this Christmas, as they probably already have, you'll experience some type of expectation that goes unmet and knowing, I don't know if I want to act that particular way this time around mm. when it happens. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the yeah, absolutely the start to it. And, and, and I think just asking ourselves the question and even asking somebody that's close to us is, is a step in the right direction to kind of processing yeah. that. So mm. I don't necessarily have a, a ton of, uh, of help or guidance beyond mm -hmm. that, but I think it's a worthwhile question to do. Like, what do I actually do when that, when that stuff happens? Yeah, mm. I really like that. And I think that kind of the first part is being aware of this is how... I typically manage that in yeah. an unhealthy way. And so then we can begin working uh, on improving that. And I think that today's conversation, we're going to look at, you know, the story of Jesus and, and a guy named Herod. And we're going to probably be able to learn a bit about maybe how we can change how we, um, how we manage those, those unmet expectations. And sure. so, um, Joel, I know that you're passionate about, about Scripture. And um, as we kind of look at, uh, the story, the, the the story of Jesus. Um, you guys talked about King Herod. Mm. All right, and yeah, I know that was that, your teaching. Yeah, King Herod, yeah. We, it's fun though. We went on the same passage. You, you so did. If you haven't watched the messages, you got to download both of them because what I yeah. love is that here's a passage of scripture that we both taught taught from. Yeah. And we're able to connect and learn. I learned so much from your message yeah. this last week. I seen week. Jeremy. I seen you up in the balcony, just lean right in, and you <laughs> were was. just like, you were just, yeah, you were just zoned Are you in. You sure on he wasn't falling asleep was about saying, to fall no, off? He was no. all in. I was like, all in. I didn't check my phone yeah. once, honestly. I'm like, like look it at was, that guy. I was 100% tied yeah. to, to, to words. So yeah. So anyways, the but the concept of here's a passage of scripture. It's it's short. It's a narrative that you know you can read in in a few minutes, and yet here we have all of this opportunity to learn and grow from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, I think it was just exciting to recognize that, you know, you and I didn't even cover the exhaustive uh, list of things that we could have yeah. pulled from yeah. these passages. Yeah. Well, and when you picked Herod, because we, we looked at the Christmas story and said, okay, what are some of the expectations? We only yeah. have a couple of weeks. What are some of the expectations of different people in the Christmas story that we can unpack? And uh, and you picked Herod right off. You said, hey, I'd love to tackle that. Did yeah. you guys talk about this before? We did. Yeah. Talk about yeah. before this like conversation? Back in like, November. The, before picking the series. The, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, before yeah, picking yeah. the series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back in <laughs> November. And so we had talked about how to put this series together. And, uh, and you said right away, hey, I think I'd like to teach on Herod. What mm -hmm. was it about King Herod in the Christmas story? Quick summary, just in case there's anybody, which there might be, who doesn't know anything about that part of the Christmas story. You have King Herod in Jerusalem, he's a, an under ruler under the Roman Empire, but he has a huge amount of authority over all of the Judean territory. And, uh, and so uh, the Magi show up, these wise men from the East, they uh, say they're looking for a newborn king. We talked this Sunday about what that means. And then yeah. King Herod 
is really, really worried that there's going to be some usurper to his throne, mm -hmm. a challenge to his mm -hmm. leadership, to his control over yeah. his territory. And so he orders that all the babies be killed of a, or the children of a certain age, the boys of a certain age, and so forth. Uh, but what was it about this, this character, this person, not just a Bible character? Yeah. These are real people, yeah. right? And I want to talk about that too. But what was it about Herod that made you say, man, this is what I want to tackle? Yeah, it's a good question. So kind of two things uh, early on. And you and I wrestled this with you, actually, because I called uh, when I was getting my car fixed and I was walking around outside um, trying to land this idea. I knew I wanted to talk about identity and I knew that there was some type of um, focus on identity in the midst of this story, because obviously Herod had baked into his story this idea that he was the king of the Jews and was going to, against all odds or whatever anybody said, be that person in that that time. And so mm -hmm. I, I knew I wanted to connect the dots to our story today because our identities are so, oh man, there's so much at stake and there's so much wrapped up in them. And there's so much, I think, there for us personally to process yeah. uh, that I wanted to go there. I didn't actually know how it was going to end up, how I was going to oh, really? get there. Yeah. So I'm, I ca I'm calling Joel the week before and I've got a, most of this message. I thought written. you were saying that during your message, you didn't know how this was going <laughs> to happen. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, wow. I've been you there. Know, how am I going to land this plane? Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> by the time I took, I took the platform, I, I had an idea on where it was going to land. But, um, but no, like I, I honestly, and when, when I was calling, I was like, I, I think that there's something here. And I had a bunch of different stuff written. I was trying to understand to make sure that we were, I was being authentic to the scripture and that we were talking like really about what Matthew was trying to convey as he wrote this this piece of narrative and so you were really helpful as, as I was processing that so I knew I wanted to talk about identity that's one of the reasons why I went to Herod okay. the other thing and this kind of came out towards the end when we talked about um you know some of so some of us not all of us some of us do wrap up a lot of our thoughts and, and maybe these days more than others in the in the political realm and mm -hmm. in uh the power structures of this world and who has power and who doesn't right. have power and, and, and Herod was all about politics and power. All yes. about, and, and amassing more power and, and convincing more people to, to look to him and even appeasing people uh, as a part. So, you know, we didn't talk about this on, on the Sunday, but, but he spent an enormous amount of his taxation actually rebuilding the Jewish temple in right. an effort to right. solidify himself as this leader of the Jewish people. Right, what a, lot, what a lot of people don't catch, just anytime you hear any teaching about Jesus and the temple, and you see the picture in Jerusalem of what it would have looked like with the marble front and, and glimmering gold and how beautiful it was. Whenever you see those pictures of the temple, generally what you're seeing in those renderings from the time of Jesus, uh, the temple was rebuilt. It was the second temple. The first temple had been destroyed. And, uh, in, and then, you know, you had the exile to Babylon and so forth. And I talked a little bit about that with Daniel this past Sunday. Uh, but when the temple was destroyed, it was then rebuilt later by Zerubbabel, became the second temple, but it was kind of pitiful compared to the first temple that Solomon had built. Mm -hmm. A little history detour That's so here. Interesting. And, uh, and then, so one of the things, as you said, that, that he did in order to try to win favor from the Jews over which he had politically maneuvered becoming the king under the Roman Empire uh, was to just absolutely make this temple for the Jews amazing. So it's remodeled. It, okay. It's still called the second temple, yeah. but it's really kind of almost like a third temple yeah. uh, because it is completely remodeled, the big, huge foundation. And that's where today, when you see the Dome of the Rock mm -hmm. in Jerusalem, the big gold mm -hmm. roof mm -hmm. dome, uh, 
the Dome of the Rock that's something like 1,500 years old, amazing building. That sits very likely, we don't know 100%, but very, very likely it's up on the Temple Mount and sits in the place where the temple of that Herod remodeled was built. Wow. And what's amazing about Herod, just real quickly on the, yeah. on the, the uh, archaeology side of it, <laughs> is he was good at the political power game. Yeah, yeah. Like, he knew how to play the game, and he was incredibly successful. He, even though he's this villain in the story, when you go to Israel today, all around Israel, most of the most impressive sites from 2,000 years ago, mm. the archaeological sites that just blow your mind, like Herodian and Masada and the seaport at Caesarea Maritima and the Herodian Palace in Jerusalem. And like there, there are all these sites and all of them were built by the incredibly cruel taxation, mm -hmm. but the incredible successful political maneuvering of Herod. Mm. And so he was in, so evil and so insecure and constantly putting down those who would challenge his leadership. Nothing yet, like nothing like today. Uh, okay. Did you have anybody in mind? Uh, I don't know. And so uh, it's so relevant. You know what I mean? No, but like, it is. It really is because we do that. We everybody in our lives we can think of somebody like Herod. Yeah. Somebody who is incredibly successful, has built an empire, built beautiful things that will last, and yeah. we're like. That doesn't seem fair. How can sure, yeah. the evil seem to prosper? Yeah. And that's kind of what Herod looks like because he was like the epitome of evil and yet incredibly successful by worldly standards. I love it. And when you go to Israel today, you still see the marks of Herod everywhere. By the way, if you've never been to Israel, we'd love to take you. I want to uh, go to Israel. Go on a regular basis. Jeremy, I know you yeah. want to jump in here, but I just want to yeah. give our listeners okay. a little context. Uh, where Joel's coming from is, is, Joel, you've traveled to Israel how many times? A lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, several times. And so I love, it comes through in his teaching and his passion that he's seen these actual places where uh, I haven't had that opportunity yet. So mm -hmm. I read, you know, so to me, this is still a bit of a story and I have to, I have to mentally sort of pull right. myself out and say, right. this is real people, real situations um, when I read the Christmas story. Yeah. And so I love being able to hear you talk about specifics of what really happened and the character traits of these individuals. Right. That, that, Jeremy, I know you yeah. wanted to jump yeah, in. I have That's a question good. and then I'll finish answering the other question. So uh, is the second temple, uh, is it on the site that the first temple was built? Do you know? S supposedly, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and is the site size different? Is it? Sm is yeah, it yeah. Herod completely expanded the Temple Mount. So the first mm. temple uh, structure, the Temple Mount would have been very modest in size compared to the Temple Mount that Herod reconstructed. And so now you've got this huge platform and they it's built on top of, like if you were to take the Temple Mount that exists, well, we weren't planning on going this way, but you asked, <laughs> yeah, uh, the fair. Temple Mount that exists now, when you look at where the Dome of the Rock is, this huge flat platform with these major supporting structures all around. And so whenever you see the Western Wall with the uh, with um, like Jewish rabbis and and uh, Orthodox Jews with uh, the the talith, the prayer shawl, and so forth, and they're praying at the Western Wall, and they stick the prayers in the rocks. That is the Western Wall. That's the foundation that Herod built. Those are mm. rocks that were put there by Herod the Great. Mm -hmm. 
that Herod built to expand the Temple Mount Foundation. Well, if you were to peel all those rocks away and take that, that, uh, that uh, foundation, that platform off, there's a little mountain there and it's called Mount Moriah, right? Mm. It's, and so yet again, historically, the reason for its, its being there is that that is where Abraham and Isaac, the whole sacrifice story and God provides the ram and hmm. uh, and so that's why it continues to be for Jews and for uh, Muslims and for Christians that little you know couple of acres yeah. <laughs> is one of the most significant places on earth that's yeah. good yeah. All right. uh, okay, so going back, why did I pick hair? <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry, guys. No, 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 no. This is where we wanted to go. This is great. Um, yeah. The political uh, nature of this conversation, I think so many of us can get caught in assuming that the, uh, the political realities of our day or, you know, we affiliate with a particular side or party and, and so we demonize the other side and it's this big fight and this, this is all that matters and, and we kind of wrap up, I think, our identity, but even like the goodness mm. of the world and the direction of the world yeah, and how things good. are going politically. Yeah. And what's fascinating, at least to me, from this story is that we're reading about a time in history when obviously Herod had all of the power in mm -hmm. that world. And there's this king born and this baby king ends up completely upending the whole power structures of our world and reframing everything and that we can pledge our allegiance to this grand story that God this has been good. a part of yeah. and, and, and both leading us into. And that at this point, that enormous power structure that to the people and that was like, if you had gone back and said to Joseph, like in that moment, like, hey, just so you know, your son and you are gonna be the heroes of a narrative that's gonna be shared <laughs> for thousands of years and Herod's gonna be a footnote. Yeah. Like he's gonna be so insignificant yeah. right. and people are never going to really think and remember him. Wow. Joseph would have had no concept of being able to piece that together because it was just unheard of. And mm. yet to be able to recognize that the work that God is doing in our world today in the same way that he was doing something 2000 years ago, has so much greater impact and significance and we get to play a role in that. Mm. And that, that is way more, way more impactful wow. than anything that happens yeah, in the political so sphere. Our king and, our, and his kingdom has no end. Yeah, and, preach. And, I love yeah. it. Because you got the whole idea that, that Herod the Great, I'm sure he probably came up with that term for himself. Sure, That's yeah. historically what he's known as, King <laughs> Herod not? the Great. Uh, that all he has left are ruined buildings, yep. as magnificent mm. and enduring as the buildings were. But what Jesus was about was building people, yeah. was building a, a movement, and not just a movement to make our lives better, not just a people to make us like better people, but to make sinners saved, yeah. to die on the cross for our forgiveness, for our transformation, like the rescue mission for the world. Uh, and so that contrast between Jesus and Herod, man, that's good. And, and I think, Jeremy, I love one that's of the good. statements in your message where you called good, Herod good. a narcissist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And is, is, is what you just communicated to us some of the reasons why you would call him a narcissist? Yeah, well, I mean, just the idea that he would spend so much of his time, effort, and energy on his own personal kingdom, mm -hmm. his own personal rule. Yeah. And, and I think even 
you know, even for me, it, I have to have a gut check. Like the message speaks to me just as much as hopefully it speaks to all of us. Yeah. When we think about where are our identities and, and how does Jesus threaten ours? Because yeah. it's easy for all of us to trend towards narcissism. And, and we can do it in the sense that it's actually not um, like, uh, like Herod, like we're trying to kill people that are threatening our identity. Mm -hmm. Like we can assume that our world is just about us and about yeah. the things that we do. And, and, and if we're not careful... I think we lose the fact that God is writing a larger story and that some of the things that make the most impact in his kingdom are the little things that we can easily breeze by because mm -hmm. of our own mm -hmm. personal narcissism. Yeah. And so kind of reframing that I, I think is, is helpful for us because yeah, pure narcissism like, like King Herod, that's a problem. I mean, it's still a problem today. Oh, it, bigger there, than ever. Yeah, there's, there's people yeah. that that's their story yes. and they have to wrestle that to the ground. I mean, maybe you know people that are like that. Yeah. Um, but on a personal level, because we all kind of, our hearts trend towards yeah. our own personal narcissism, uh, I think that the story can speak to yeah. us today. Mm. Really good point, because I think our culture actually breeds narcissism more than ever because society mm. is telling us, you know, you deserve this, mm -hmm. you earned it. And yep. so what it does is as I'm listening to you guys, I'm hearing the story of, of Herod is building his own empire. He's doing everything that he wants to do. Mm. And I think that's, that's easy for all of us to mm. lean in that direction. And then you have Jesus where it was the complete opposite, where he was about everyone else. And as he lived his life, he, he led in a completely opposite direction and it led to something so much bigger. Yeah. And, and, and so Pat, like what are some of the ways that that plays out though? Because I think we hear, you know, well, you know, narcissism and, and we tend to think, like Instagram influencers right. and movie stars right. and, you know, examples in, you know, world leadership or whatever, where you brand people as a narcissist. And I think a lot of times that word, we think that doesn't apply to us. Mm. But like, what are some ways that you guys see narcissism like Herod, but like in our lives played out? Because I think of narcissism as like, for example, Herod cut people out of his life who would challenge yeah. his identity or his authority or his narrative. Yeah. And like, that's what social media does now, right? It, it does. Like we cut people out of our lives mm -hmm. who don't support our narrative, mm -hmm. yes. who don't support what we believe about whatever uh, our perspective on things. And so we end up in these little silos because in our narcissism, we've only allowed people into our circle of influence who agree with us and confirm what we already think. Yeah, and we can create these worlds where people think they know who we are because we can, mm. we're the narrator. Right, right? curate it. Yeah. We can post the pictures and we can, yeah. we can show people, uh, you know, uh, uh, an improper image of who we really are, which really feeds into, uh, you know, this whole selfish ideas that we want to create for people. And mm. we know that that leads to just more emptiness, loneliness, and it's not our real identity. And so that's where I want to kind of take our conversation next is, is Jeremy, you talked about identity and how we can, you know, we can find our identity in, in our, our job, in how much money we have, our influence, relationships, and that becomes who we are. All right. And so you began to talk about that there's actually another option that we can find our identity in Jesus. And you, you have, you asked this question, okay? And so I want to ask you, because I want to I wanna know a little bit more about where you were going. And, and Joel, I know you'll add your thoughts in on this too. Um, but how does Jesus threaten our identity? 
How does Jesus threaten our identity? So could you just kind of talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I, think if we've, I think if we've made anything else other than Christ the king of our life and the center of our identity, that he threatens that mm. in the sense that, that he, his, even his presence in our world today is a threat to any of those false gods is what we would say or our idols. And so uh, at the same time, the fascinating thing about Jesus and even the fascinating thing about, you know, this, this story and calling him the king and the idea that they're looking for him is usually you would assume a king exerts his power and influence and, and forces you to acknowledge his kingship. And Jesus is, is so different in that yeah, as he comes, he he's inviting us to be uh, participating in his kingdom, but he doesn't force his way. Yeah. Uh, even in, even as a human, as he walked the earth, the idea that, uh, you know, he had ultimate authority as God himself and yet was willing to lower himself to be a human and, and, and walk amongst people and, and submit to authorities that are around him. And, and so mm -hmm. I, I think for, for each of us, the, the interesting thing for those of us that call ourselves Christians, we have to wrestle with uh, each day. Are we willing to make Christ the king of, of our lives yeah. and, and make him the king today? And for those that don't follow Christ as their king, uh, there's an invitation that's there, but it, it, he's not going to be—he's not going to be bossy about it. He's not going to force his way in. Absolutely not. Uh, it, there is a choice there uh, that that we often, you know, would reference and invite people to to, to take a step towards him. But yeah. uh, I think that is at least a, a part of what we want to wrestle with around mm. the Christmas story and around the Chris, at Christmas time, because for many people, maybe this is your story you've written it off as maybe a narrative or a story and you haven't maybe made it a personal thing lately. And, and so inviting you to take a moment and think personally, uh, what does it mean to actually consider Jesus as a king? And what would that mean? And how, that, how would that actually change how I experience my life, how I live my life, how, where I place my uh, identities? And, and fortunately, I think at this point, this is maybe outside the scope of the conversation, but uh, we have so much uh, like research in, in some ways, um, but lots of like social scientists that kind of understand and watch the trends that we see in our world today. And as people misplace their identities, uh, it's, it's pretty clear at th this point that there's all sorts of negative health outcomes. There's mm -hmm. negative mm -hmm. um, mental health outcomes that yeah. come from that. And, and we're mm -hmm. dealing with all sorts of in, incredible um, difficulties when it comes to broad population because people have landed and, and soaked their identity in something that is is not actually meant to hold. And their some identity. things can be good things. Oh, it's, yeah, sure. Right, and and uh, which kind of leads me to maybe my second question, Joel, on this identity is, how can we avoid from getting ourselves from getting wrapped up in an identity? And so I'll allow you just kind of think of that, and and yeah. how I sort of process that is, and I think we could all say the same thing, but we could probably all make more money than what we're making doing something. And, but I, I want to, I would rather be known as a, as a good father or a good husband, right? And so I, that helps me try to steer my identity in, instead of what I do, mm. in, instead of who I want to be. Um, do you have anything that you would want to speak to? Like, how could we yeah. avoid from falling into that trap? Well, I, you know, when you asked that question first to Jeremy, the first thing that came to mind to me was, you used the phrase from the teaching that first Sunday of the series uh, that Jesus threatened 
Herod's identity and you ask the question, how does he threaten your identity? And the first thought that came to me is if people don't think that Jesus threatens their identity, like if you don't yeah. feel threatened by yeah. Jesus, yeah. then you don't understand Jesus, right? Like if, if Jesus is just about making your life easier and better, and then you have failed to understand what Jesus was about. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus was about calling us out as evil sinners. Like I, I, I was just thinking about the, I didn't even look it up, but I was just thinking this week about uh, the verse where Jesus was talking about uh, prayer and what you ask the Father. And he says, he, he compares us when it comes to praying and asking things to our Heavenly Father. He compares it to when our kids ask us for bread. Mm -hmm. And Jesus uses this interesting phrase. He says, you know, if, if all of you who are evil, when your kids ask you for some, you know, for bread, you wouldn't give them a stone. And what's interesting about that exchange is Jesus makes the assumption that she, people should understand we are evil. Mm -hmm. And that's the yeah. exact opposite of the narrative yeah. that we believe about ourselves is the essence of it is, hey, I'm a good person. And as long as we think I'm good enough, I'm a good person, then we don't understand how Jesus threatens our no. identity because mm -hmm. our identity has to be about full surrender to mm -hmm. him and what Jesus did for us on the cross, the, the forgiveness that we desperately need, that we can't do it mm -hmm. on our own. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, that kind of touches on this yeah, Sunday where I said yeah. kind of the harsh moment. Yeah. Uh, what was the line that I used this Sunday about? Uh, I said, I'm going to offend people here for just a minute. Yeah. And I said something like, God is not interested in meeting your expectations. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want us to get <laughs> to that. And that's kind of where we're, where we're going. But uh, Jeremy, you mentioned that our identity, uh, as we covered, could be wrapped up in our jobs. But even in how we express ourselves and, or even in politics, right? We can get wrapped up in all of those those things and and so here's what I've I've uh, in talking with people uh, who who don't go to church and but they've experienced God somewhere in their life maybe as a as a teenager or young child they've experienced God and, and read the stories but they've chose to not live um, you know follow this this uh, Jesus lifestyle and some of them say you know what I I know all about it, but I'm choosing to live this way. I don't want to live on both sides, all right, hot and cold, so I'm going to stay here. And so that's where I feel like Jesus calls us to full surrender, but he won't force us to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's, it's interesting how, you know, people will, uh, you know, he's not going to push even though that they know. And hopefully there'll be a time where, where they begin to surrender their life to Jesus and take on that new identity, um, which again is just a life that the world just can't offer. Yeah. Right? When we talk about the good stuff, the peace, the joy, the hope, like that is all found in people think that surrendering their life to Jesus is, is you know, not a great way to live your life, mm -hmm. but it is so full. It really, really is. Joel, did you want to add to that? or? I, so I wanted to respond to the, uh, the idea, Joel, you were talking about the, uh, if we assume that we're still good or that there's good in us or something on those lines. So I'm watching um, Turner and Hooch, not the old movie, okay. but the new series that's on, um, on Disney+. Plus. Okay. Uh, 
you know, decent show. Uh, maybe a six out of ten. So uh, at the season finale, it's not though, Tom Hanks. Uh, not the Tom Hanks one. No, 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 it's a new one. No, they did a good job. It's interesting. So I'm watching it with my wife Chantel, and and it's the last episode, and they're actually talking about. Um, the guy gives advice, and this is classic. He's like, just follow your heart, man. Follow your heart. And we hear that yes, in so do. many different places, right? Yeah. And every time I always cringe a bit because as, uh, you know, predominantly a youth pastor, I've worked with teenagers for, you know, so long. One of the things that we try hard to articulate to teenagers is that dude, you should not follow your heart because our hearts are are in, inherently uh, not always right. They're yeah. evil. There's yeah. there and Scripture I, says deceitful. Deceitful. It's baked in. And and there's this quote from Alexander. I can't pronounce his name. The Gulag Archipelago, though. This classic quote um, that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart uh, and through all human hearts. This idea that we experience um, the darkness that's inside of us, and so because of that, we know hopefully that we can know and recognize that we need redemption. We need mm -hmm. restoration. We yeah. need healing. And if we can at least own that, it leads us to a place of asking the question, okay, how do we have our own hearts reformed? And then the Christian solution to that, of course, is this Christ that's willing yeah. to take broken, uh, darkened, hardened hearts and restore them to the way that we are meant to be as humans. Mm -hmm. But we have to have this outside source that actually yeah. does that for us. Yeah, so. no, that's really, really good. Theology last night, watching Turner and Hooch, who would have yeah, thought, eh? Wow. That's right. Joel, you mentioned in your message about, uh, or, or maybe it was you, Jeremy, but about how we tell kids that like, you can be anything you want to be. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I don't know if that's, if that's healthy. Yeah. Right. If it can. Well, it's set so us much up. pressure. It does. So we see this with teenagers so and so often, right? And and this is, I mean, you know, if you've said this to, to people, like, you know, it's not like this is the the worst sin that you could commit to a teenager, <laughs> but to recognize the weight that yes. comes from telling somebody, yeah. oh, you can do anything that you want to do if you just put your mind to it. All of a sudden, all the pressure of whatever yeah. comes out of their life is now on their own shoulders, and they have to determine and make that distinct. The, decision. I think even reading history and understanding how, as humans for generations, how we approached things as simple as vocation and recognizing yeah. that for the majority of history, you know, there were pres uh, presumed directions that you would go right. with your life mm -hmm. and you were meant to live out, you know, if you were a Christian, your faith inside of this presumed direction and that that wasn't bad or evil necessarily. Right. And so this freedom that we have to be able to go and do different things, yeah. again, isn't isn't evil, and yet it comes with this enormous amount of it pressure does. we're putting on people yeah. that they now need to determine and decide their own direction and their own future, yep. uh, just inside of their own will and desire. And and I know in this, I use this example when we talk with teenagers. Left to my own devices, like I can't make good, healthy eating choices, and I know good, healthy eating choices are the right things for me mm -hmm. to do. So like I know that I know I feel better when I eat healthy, and yet. When I see the Big Mac, I'm still drawn to the Big Mac. And I still eat the Big Mac. Right. And that's on like the smallest of scales yeah. with the lowest of stakes in yeah. one individual meal. And so to, again, just to connect the dots that the stakes can be so much bigger on some of these other things and that we need the help of somebody else to come in, the savior that's willing to reform mm -hmm. even our own hearts so that we can accomplish the things that are actually, we're called to do and that will actually make a difference for us and that will mm. actually be healing and, and hopeful and, yeah. and give us a future. That's good. So that's heavy, man. Sorry. That's good yeah. stuff. Joel, <laughs> good, good, good. let's talk about Love that it. statement that got my attention when I, when I heard you say it on Sunday, but God doesn't care <laughs> about our expectations. Right. Right. 
God doesn't good. care about our expectations. Like, I love that because we think that God should just do everything that, that yeah. we want, need, feel in the moment. Yeah. So, so let's, let's set the expectation that I think is so healthy as Christians that I don't know about you guys, but... Can I ask a question about this? Yeah. Joel, what's the most carnal prayer that you've ever prayed <laughs> to God? As you think about it, I want to give you oh, mine. man. Yeah. The most carnal, Jeremy, the most carnal, really carnal, carnal for everybody so, out so there. So my, my, example, my example is I remember a time where I was like, honestly, like almost like face down before the Lord asking him to find my mittens. This was, this was a, 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 a long time ago. Mittens, yeah. I prayed for wallets. That's usually a little bit. But in terms of like just a little bit self-serving, uh, I was, I'd lost my mittens. Well, and it was like a significant prayer concern. Yeah. So, I mean, you can pray for your mittens. But what's the most carnal thing you prayed for, do you think? Oh, that is, I, I've never been asked that question in my life. I don't know. To, Pat, do you to get yeah, I do. Ask, yeah. I'll, I'll give Was you, it sports I'll related a for a team? But no, seriously, we're talking about Christmas. I am the worst gift giver. Yeah. All right. And so literally I will like, when it's time to go Christmas shopping, I'm like, God, you need to help me. And so seriously, like just a couple of days. Hey, I haven't tried that yet. Maybe that's what I'm missing. Ago, I was with two of my boys. Oh, this is from a couple we, days ago. Yeah. We had to do, this is, yeah. Like this is like fresh, right? I like it. I'm like, boys, listen, we were literally in the car and I was like, we've got to go buy two gifts. Yeah. And we don't know where or what we're getting. And so this is where I pray and say, God, like, help us, lead us, like, show us something. And so, again, just this who, simple. Who, is, who are the gifts for? Uh, who are the gifts for? They were adult uh, gift exchange that we do oh, with okay. Steve's family. I, was, I, was, I nice. wondered if it was your wife. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I start praying much more in advance for that one. <laughs> but that's what I was asking God for. God, help us find two gifts that would just be perfect and personal uh, for our family. So there you go. All right. You don't have to answer, Joel. It, well, in my, I, the only thing I can fine. think is maybe how, uh, like with sports, that there have been times that I wanted a team oh, to yes. win so bad, but I can't, I, I don't know that I've actually prayed for it. Though. Right, right, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm like. No, yeah. it's fine. Anyways, yeah. God, God help us win, win this game. Right, right? <laughs> and you've got like more players on the other team praying the same thing. So you're like, well, who's he gonna, you know? But, but for anybody who's, who's wondering about the context on that, if you did not catch the message from this Sunday, uh, the teaching was on the Magi. And mm. so the idea was that we have every reason to believe that the Magi are expecting when they make this long journey, months through the desert, and we talked about the geography and the history of the Magi and all that sort of stuff. And we have every reason to believe that they think that they are about to intersect with one of the greatest moments in human history. Mm. They're about to meet one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known wow. because of these widespread prophecies that we talked about, not just for, for hundreds of years, like we talked about the Daniel prophecy for 600 years before, who was the chief or of so the order of the Magi. you felt they knew. But like, there yeah, was an I think they had an expectation yeah. uh, that, that they were about to, to, to meet, you know, the greatest leader the world has ever known. And I think that would come with built-in expectations, right? And so I quoted uh, Tim Elmore, who said about the story that they came looking, following a star, but they found a stable. Right. You know, mm. that they probably expected prestige, mm. but they found poverty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a poor working class family, an unwed mother mm -hmm. who's just gotten uh, married uh, before the baby is born and uh, claims that it's a virgin conception and 
a, a, a working class husband named Joe who's, <laughs> you know, a construction worker. Like, like this cannot be with the Magi yeah. who we know historically yeah. Yeah. are the advisors yeah. and consultants yeah. to the kings and the leaders and the most powerful people in the world. And then they put in all this money and this time and this effort and they bring the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then this is what they find. Right. And so the idea that we were trying to unpack on Sunday is how often we go after what we think is good and godly mm -hmm. and things don't turn out the way yeah. that we thought they would. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so what I'm hearing is that uh, we need to put our trust in God, right? Just like they, you know, expectations, they come, they go. Uh, some are met, some are unmet. But if we can just say, you know what, I am, even admit disappointment, right? Even admit frustration, but say, God, I trust you anyway. And so maybe there's, there's people that are listening that they're kind of in a moment where they're feeling like they've been ripped off. Mm. They didn't get what they deserved. And, and you shared a story about, about this powerful story in your message about a missionary. Mm. Um, but if we can somehow change our perspective and say, you know what, God, you are faithful. And even though I don't understand it, even though... I don't agree with it, God, I am putting my trust in you. And, and I think that somewhere in there lies the answer in how we can manage those unmet expectations with an attitude of, of hope, with an attitude of, of somehow, God, you're going to come through this, right? And I, I, that, to me, is what helps get us through because yeah. we've all been through probably some really tough times where we've doubted God, been angry with God. And I've either had to, I've had to make a conscious choice whether I'm going to choose to believe that. And when I did, it would make me, uh, you know, a bad attitude, mm -hmm. right? And, and just miserable. And so I had to slowly change my perspective and say, God, I don't understand this. I don't think it's fair, but I'm going to trust you. And as I moved in that direction, I felt like, you know, um, you know just a peace I felt hope. I felt forgiveness in that moment. And so mm. just shifting our focus when expectations are not met. Mm. I wanted to ask, what do, you think, uh, what do you think the conversation was like after they left Jesus' house? They dropped the gifts? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, wow. What were they, what yeah. were they, what were they talking about? Maybe, maybe, maybe there was some expectation. that. Yeah, that's really good. That there was like, oh, you know, something will happen here. But presumably... We just yeah, come right. on this well, the one thing we know is in Matthew 2, even though Jesus was probably not what they expected in the context that they expected, that I really tried to focus in on that line. But they, they were overjoyed. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And they bowed down and worshiped him. Yeah, fair enough. So mm. apparently they came with expectations. Jesus was not what they expected, but they found in him joy and they worshiped him yeah and and i want to since i have the floor i want to the reason i grabbed my phone because it wasn't that i wasn't listening to you pat yeah. is i just happened to think i i put out this morning a question okay. knowing that we were going to do this podcast recording this afternoon yeah. oh. and i put online and just asked if anybody had any questions about anything yeah. and there were a couple like uh johan johan uh asked about like symbols like the Christmas tree, where does that come from? Okay. And is it pagan? And, 
And we could talk about some of that stuff if we have any time, which I'm not sure we're going to have enough time or not. But Thanks for your on questions. that one, that was Martin yeah. Luther from the 1500s, supposedly, okay. who was one of the first ones. To do Christmas uh, trees? Yeah. Well, that's nice. That very likely it was before that that they brought ever, evergreens indoors. But he's attributed for the ones uh, for putting lights on the tree oh, really? to uh, represent the light of Christ in the world and shining into the yeah. darkness. And, which it has to be the greatest fire hazard yeah. ever, right? <laughs> and so the very next year, uh, Martin Luther had to build a new house after his house burned down after the first Christmas celebration with a Christmas tree with lights on it because they used candles. But the, the question related to the Magi, though, was uh, I, I got Yves LeBlanc asked the symbolism and meaning of the gifts of the wise men. Yes. The gold, oh, frankincense, nice. and myrrh. myrrh. Was that a so, leading question, do you think? This person knew the answer? I don't know. He didn't it... give me an answer. So if we say it, if we don't <laughs> say what he's expecting, maybe we'll get in trouble. I don't know. Uh, but do, like, did you guys have any background on the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Or? A little bit. I've looked at it before, yeah. and I was looking at it a bit. Uh, so you probably know more than I do. But gold is like a gift for a king. Uh, right. one, of the, one of the frankincense and myrrh was like a gift, a burial spice? Uh, myrrh. Is burial, burial spice. spice. Yeah. And so for not exclusively, but but definitely a common use was in burial. And significant at this point, because we understand the end of the story. In the moment though, it was just a it was a, a very pricey thing to right. to be able to offer somebody. Right. So what a nice gift. And probably finance their trip to Egypt. I read that, yeah. which kind of is interesting okay. too. But yeah, I, so I'm just I, and I forget what frankincense is. Yeah. Frankincense the word in frankincense is incense, right? Yeah. So it's a type of incense uh, that they would burn and use for purification of the temple, all the stuff that you do with incense. But so if you look at Exodus 30, I believe it is, Exodus 30 mentions both, uh, both frankincense and myrrh mm -hmm. in relation to temple duty. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so some of the things, to be clear, the Bible does not say exactly what the significance of gold, frankincense, right. and myrrh are. So we look back historically, we look back at the Old Testament, and we try to infer some things. But if anybody tells you, oh, categorically, this is exactly what gold, frankincense, and myrrh means in the Jesus narrative story of the, of the nativity uh, for Christmas, then they're overstating it because the okay. Bible doesn't say specifically. Yeah. But, I mean, you can interpret that, you know, gold, the most costly and powerful, uh, you know, element in, in prized in our world. A king, like you said, uh, incense or frankincense was used in great part in the temple. Yeah. So worship, purification in the temple, the priests. And so you have a representation of the priestly function of Jesus. And then myrrh, like you said, burial spice. Yeah. Maybe foreshadowing. You his guys death. aren't catching this. Joel yeah. loves this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, do. I do. I was going to say, uh, you really can good. if you're a young living rep, are you going to drop your, <laughs> oh, your link yeah. in the show notes? Oh, you get true. some frankincense. Yes, work yes. to some frankincense yes. diffused yes. while back. Frankincense. So we we've come kind of full circle here. We've started our conversation, you know, talking about expectations, and we we linked that, uh, you know, to Herod and how you know his expectations of who he would be, um, you know, really kind of got blown up when Jesus showed up. And we talked about finding our identity in Jesus, not in what we do, all right? Uh, and then we've, we're sort of moving into kind of, you know, maybe closing out this conversation, but um, 
if you guys don't have, have anything specific that you want to cover on this topic, or maybe I'll, I'll start with this question. I'll start with you, Jeremy, and then I'll go with Joel. But Jeremy, is there one thing that, that you didn't communicate in your message that you would want to share with us? Or is there something that maybe didn't make the message um, that, that you would want to just, yeah, add that into it? Or, or maybe there's something that you said you wish you wouldn't have said. So <laughs> no, maybe a couple, I think I, couple options there. I think I was good. But see, the trick is that I put all my main points on the, on the slides. And so I just am able to know, okay. oh, that's... At least that's what I plan to say. Right. Um, I was going to reference um, a YouTube uh, promo that I had come across, and I don't I haven't watched all their videos, but uh, it looks intriguing, and it's He Gets Us. Okay. And so I saw this on social media, He Gets Us, and even uh, their website, hegetsus.com. Uh, intriguing, at Christmas time, and it's all about uh, Jesus gets our struggles because he experienced them too. Okay. And some really great videos, and... Um, I, I think so YouTube, he gets us. Point. Yeah, I can't vouch for everything because I haven't watched all their stuff. Okay. But uh, at first pass, Let's I was like, oh, out. this is kind of cool. I like it when, when you know, Christians are trying to, again, help people be connected to yeah. this Jesus mm -hmm. that cares so deeply for our world today. And so I was fascinated when I saw that. Mm -hmm. Oh, love it. Love That's it. That's all I got. Uh, Pastor Joel, as you, you spoke uh, last week, anything there that, that you want to uh, maybe add to and knowing that you've got another week. Yes, I'm excited well. about this Sunday, uh, the Sunday before Christmas, and uh, we're going to take another look at one of those expectations in the Christmas story, one of my favorite people in the Christmas story that hardly ever gets any attention, mm. and so I'll, I'll save that for this Sunday. You're not guess, telling us who it is? I'm not. Ah, you got to come. Nuts. you got to figure it so out. So many secrets. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and but But the thought that I had was Right now, and, and I know that there are people who maybe are listening to this or watching this yeah. on, you know, on Facebook or YouTube or you're listening to it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. But here in New Brunswick, we're in a situation where with increased restrictions and, you know, the spread of Omicron, the concerns about that and and concerns about whether families will be able to gather and a new limit that, you know, if you've got a family larger than 20 or a contact list of 20, that you're probably not going to be able to get together for Christmas. And, mm -hmm. and like, this is stressful it and is. disappointing yeah, really, for really people, is. right? And, and that isolation, that disappointment, that disconnectedness, which is so unhealthy for us in so many ways, and we're seeing the results of that in society right now. But I can't help but to think about Jesus. As you said, he gets us. He knows, Jesus knows our sorrow. Jesus knows all about our troubles. Uh, Jesus experienced everything that we could have experienced and yet was without sin. Mm -hmm. And I think you even see that in the Christmas story because you know, the, the, the story of Jesus being born is not like this big, beautiful, happy family gathering story. Right. That they're forced, it sounds like, by Caesar Augustus to go from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. She's pregnant. They're expecting this child. Like, this does not sound like a journey that they would want to make. Mm -hmm. So they're forced by restrictions to do things they don't want to do. Yeah. Starting to sound familiar. Yeah, we, we get that. They get there, and apparently either the family didn't have room for them in the house. Maybe it was part of an annex to the house. But 
whatever it was, whatever the reason was, I'm not guessing that a person's first choice for the baby is to put them in a feeding trough right. for like, yeah. you know, lambs, you know, to the, for the sheep and the animals and so forth. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. And so to me, even the story of Jesus being born, if you feel isolated and restricted this mm-hmm. Christmas, which many of us here in New Brunswick are feeling, understandably so, understand that even that is part of the Christmas story. Wow. That Mary and Joseph were isolated yeah. and forced to do things and you know that maybe they didn't feel like doing because of the government yeah. and, and so forth. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying about whether all that's right or wrong. That's not my point. But my point is if that's the way you are feeling, understand mm-hmm. that that is part of the Christmas story too. Yeah. And Jesus gets it and take that disappointment to the Lord. Don't you know, don't just lash out in yeah, frustration. Do productive things with it that bring glory to God. Yeah. yeah, that's so good because, again, we don't, just like they didn't see the maybe the, the big picture or the end, all right, um, we don't know where all of this is going, all right? But we do know uh, that through Jesus, he does win and yeah. that he has positioned us here. This is so important. He's positioned each one of us here for a certain uh, reason, time, and place. And so why not shift our focus and say, I don't understand what's going on, but I can do something now, yeah. right? I can, I can love, you know, my neighbor. I can give something that I have to somebody else. And there's so many things to be frustrated and disappointed yeah. about, but there's a lot of things that in our province we can be grateful for. And so yeah. I think that in this Christmas season, in this Christmas story, let's look for those things, it's good. right? And from that, I'm telling you, you know, it's just a much better place for us to live as Christians and as Jesus followers. And you guys got to know this, that people, people will notice the difference in our attitude and how we treat people. So yeah. as hey. we wrap up, anything more you want to add, Jeremy? Christmas shopping all done? Yeah. We, we my, my wife is the planner. We're, yeah. we're wrapped and ready to go. Awesome. Just, I, I just want to make sure people know Sunday, 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 we've got... Yes. Uh, we're going to unpack a piece of the Christmas story that I think you're not going to want to miss this Sunday. I'm really excited about it. And then Christmas Eve, both online mm-hmm. and in person, we will have uh, two Christmas Eve services here uh, at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock p.m. Atlantic Standard Time. So if you're Eastern Time, that'll be at 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Love right? it. Love if it. you're, you're not Greenwich, want to Greenwich Mean Time, what, what would I the time be? I have no idea. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Greenwich. I was going to get him to do all the, 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 all the different ones. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Pacific Time? <laughs> yep. Uh, check out our I website for all, all the information yeah, you yeah. need what to know. <laughs> and listen, as we wrap up, maybe you found something today helpful. Um, you know, be sure. I, I know that when I listen to podcasts and I find something encouraging or helpful, I'm always wanting to share that and push that out to somebody. And if you have any complaints, send them to Pat. Absolutely. Yeah, we would love <laughs> to hear it. So enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy hey, thanks, this Christmas season. Merry Christmas. See you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about Monkey Church, check out our website at mw.church. Have a great day. Thank you.